morning, everybody. Uh, if you've got a Bible, you can turn to Mark 9. We'll be doing the back half of Mark 9, little mention of Mark 10. We've been journeying through the Gospel of Mark. And my initial plan was not that by this week I'd be covering this text, but that's what happens. When you start reading through the Gospel of Mark and you're going through it slowly, all of a sudden you go, oh, I, we've got to lean into this. We've got to hear this. So let me ask you some questions at the top. Um, put your hand up. This is easy if you are like this because you'll go, yeah. Put your hand up if you are competitive by nature. You're like, oh, wow. That's a lot. Okay, put two hands up if you're the most competitive in your family. Oh, wow. I mean, who says? Um, stand up if you believe if I was to set a challenge due to your competition, you would not quit and you would win whatever challenge I set before you. I'm not going to. I just hypothetically want to know if you have the confidence in your competitive nature to not quit. If you are that person, just stand up. If you feel, no, I could do that. I'm not going to, so you're safe. But look at these confident people. Look around them. Have a look around. Look at these people. Wow. Yeah, I'm not going to quit. I'm going to take this all on. Okay, take a seat. Stick a hand up if you've ever won a game of cards. Ever. Put your hand up if you've never won anything in your life. You won't do that. It's okay. I get it. Let me talk to you a little bit today about greatness. Humans, we've got different personalities, but how we interpret this is different. When I say to you, life, do you crave greatness? Are you on a quest for greatness? Now, you'd expect the majority of people, because you're in church, maybe to go, maybe I shouldn't, you know, yeah, yeah, I'm on a quest, you know, maybe, maybe not. Let me help you here. Today, I'm going to walk us through, there are there's like 16 verses in this section, and Jesus' section, section, section is talking about something to his disciples. He's revealing something about their person, their nature. But at the heart of it, at no one point does he ever say you should not pursue greatness, but their understanding of greatness gets really, really challenged. And so sometimes we have this. The quest for greatness is corrupted by our sin. It's corrupted. See, what happens is the quest for greatness in and of itself may not be bad, but sin corrupts it, and so what we interpret greatness is this, as long as I am better than somebody else. And I get a claim for that. That's your pursuit of greatness corrupted by sin. Really, my desire is just to be better than them. As long as I'm better, and there is this, yeah, I just, I'm okay. As long as I'm better than them, that pursuit of greatness, and suddenly the circle can become smaller, and you feel like, see, it's better in a smaller crowd because there's a potential that you could be the greatest. But sin corrupts a quest for greatness, and throughout human history, it's always been there let me take you straight away to the text. Mark 9, 33. 
I'm going to go through today, I'm going to cover pretty much up to 49, but I'm going to do it in three sections. There's three pieces here, and I'm going to give you a warning off the bat. Those who heard my message last week will know it wasn't comfortable. Today, we just crank it up a few more degrees. Jesus does not get anything but comfortable. It's really harsh. It's strong. It's graphic. It's ouch. He's really hitting something that is extremely close to his mission, extremely close to his heart. It matters so much, he uses extreme language to communicate it. And all too often, and all this whole text, we've, we've broke it out and said, oh, we just covered that. You've got to see all three in a flow to understand it. So we'll do the easy one first. Mark 9, 33 to 37. They came to Capernaum, and when he was in the house, this is Jesus, he asked them, his disciples, what were you arguing about on the road? But they kept quiet. <laughs> Because on the way, they had argued about who was the greatest. Sitting down, Jesus called the twelve and said, If anyone wants to be first, he must be the very last and the servant of all. He took a little child and had him stand among them. And taking him in his arms, he said to them, Whoever welcomes one of these little children in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me does not welcome me, but the one who sent me. Context. The disciples have gone on this journey and there's been some talk. Understand this. The reality that we know about this is the disciples, with the exception of Peter, were teenage boys. Upper teens, maybe early 20s at best. That was a culture. That's when rabbis call people that name. And so you've got young men at the height of their cocky arrogance. At the height of it. And they're there, and they've been chosen by Jesus, and they've just discovered that they've made a declaration. He's the Messiah. We talked about it last week, what they thought, but what they found out. Then you get... The transfiguration moment, but only Peter, James, and John get the invite. So only Peter, James, and John get to see Moses and Elijah and Jesus and the whole sh absolutely glory moment. The whole thing's incredible. So no wonder when they continue, there's talk among 12 young men. Oh, well, how come they got to go? And what about us? And that's not particularly fair. And oh, look at John showing off. I got to see this. And and look at James and there's Peter and rah, 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 what about me and what about me? And we know this other conversations, James and John talking to Jesus, put me on your left and hear the guy on the right. This there, it's culture. It's just bravado, but it's just this quest for, hmm, who's more important? And really it's not who the ultimate importance, as long as I am better than. We've got to have some kind of a system. Where am I in the league table? It's just there. Jesus asked the question, what were you arguing about? <clears throat> they don't answer. Busted. Because they know, oh, we're in for it now. What were you arguing about? Jesus knows what they're arguing about. And then to make it super quick, he steps in because he wants to coach these young men with what matters most, and that is this. True leadership is servant leadership. 
true leadership isn't, oi, it's behind. True leadership, the number one quality in Christ-like leadership is humility. He lays it out. Why is he hitting this? Because he knows, and all I can do is speak for men. For us men, the number one sin category, and everything flows from it, is pride. You can attach every single sin in your life, men, to pride. You can attach it. I can handle this. I can fix this. I can deal with this. I'm this. I deserve this. Everything is connected to pride. Pride sits a bit, and Jesus knows that, and he goes in and goes, hey, if you want to be really great, you want to be first, you must be the very last. Whoa. And then become the servant of all. He's coaching these boys. Don't forget the context, and I'll mention it again. At this point, Jesus has not gone to the cross. He hasn't died. He hasn't been risen. He hasn't sent the Holy Spirit. We have this hindsight bias of knowing that. But at this point, they didn't know that. He's leaning in and saying, yeah, guys, super quick. He then gets a child, a little child, little child. This is a little child, significantly small child, not at the age of understanding. No bar mitzvah, bat mitzvah taking place under 12. It's the definition. These, oh, Jesus is being cute here? Nope. He is intentionally getting the lowest level of person in God's eyes. They've not come to the age of understanding. They've not learned all these different things. They're at level one. He takes a child and says, whoever welcomes this little one welcomes me. Jesus is straight away leaning in and he's opening the door that we call grace. It's not about how good you are, what you know, what you've earned, how successful you've been. It's not about them. Welcome me. The way for my disciples to be, Jesus has said, is open the door. Open the door. Grace opens a door. You don't deserve it. You cannot earn it. Open the door. Welcome people. Welcome people. I'll get into it because it's grace and truth. Grace opens a door. Truth sets you free. But you have to open the door for truth to come in. So he's putting it there and he's just laying down. Guys, listen to me. Listen to me. Servant leadership, humility. And they're still going, what, what? They get it when he dies for them. And he's risen and sends his Holy Spirit. But at this point, not so. Now, I'm going to lean into this next bit. And I, I want to do this on purpose. Would you all just like, kind of like, shuffle in your seat and reposition? Like a fresh, just do it. Get, get fresh. Maybe you want to crack your fingers or something, I don't know. But get ready. Because what what's about to happen now is you've got to lean into this and hear it. I read through this so many times, I kept getting more and more and more and more. This morning at 4.45, I scratched a whole section of my message because we would have been here till 4 o'clock. And I went, not today, because there's so much here, and I can't cover it all. But what happens now is life transforming if only we'll hear what Jesus is saying. Mark 9, now verse 38 to 42. Teacher, said John, Rabbi, 
We saw a man driving out demons in your name and we told him to stop because he was not one of us. What? You didn't choose that guy like you chose us. And we saw a guy driving out demons in your name and we said stop because he's not one of us. Because we're great and we're better than everybody else because you chose us. And we're the special chosen ones. And Jesus responds, do not stop him. Too late. Jesus said, no one who does a miracle in my name can in the next moment say anything bad about me. For whoever is not against us is for us. That sounds way too grace-filled for me. We're just quoting Jesus. You're not going to like some of the things that Jesus is saying here because it just feels way too grace-filled. I tell you the truth, anyone who gives you a cup of water in my name because you belong to Christ will certainly not lose his reward. And if anyone causes one of these little ones, that's not children, little ones here at this point is these others who've been believing in Jesus and driving out demons in his name, they're little ones, Jesus is using it. Yeah, maybe not as good as you, but if anyone causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it will be better for him to be thrown into the sea with a large millstone tied around his neck. I'll get onto the meaning of that later. It's brutal. Brutal. But let's just start at the top. There's a guy driving out demons in your name and we said stop. And Jesus said no. He's not one of us. Let's just go there. Throughout Christendom, the last 2,000 years or maybe the last few days, division, sectarianism, tribalism, denominationalism, doctrinalism has been rife within the bride of Christ. It's caused unbelievable damage, unbelievable hurt, unbelievable problems, It's a layup for the enemy who loves it and dives in super hard. There's a reason for that that I'll get to in a minute. But the reality is we have decided to have create disunity or we are better than. They don't do it this way. They don't do it that way based off methodology differences of opinion. Now, we are called commanded, fulfill the mission of Jesus to unity. Jesus in John 17, his final big huge prayer before Gethsemane that he cries out to his father is, is that father, oh that they may be one as I am in you and you are in me so that the world will believe you sent me. Unity is the big fanfare to the world that Jesus is God. Unity is. So why do you think there's been so many factions and tribalism and division throughout all the church history? Because the enemy attacks it because it's Jesus' big, huge prayer. 
So spiritual warfare is absolutely rife when we create sectarianism, tribalism, denominationalism, the whole thing. It is absolutely rife. And it's been there forever. And the division's there. It's been there forever. And, and why do we buy into it? Why do we go, oh, well, I don't like that church because they do this. And, and I don't like that because they do that. I want to better not hang out with them or listen to that guy speak because if I do, I might get contaminated. And if I get contaminated, here's why you don't do that. You're just scared. Who's the author of fear? You're scared that if I, oh, if I even, oh, if I sing a song from that church, I'm going to lose my soul. Are you out of your mind? Who's saying that? And it's, it's just massive. It's taking place. And Jesus is teaching his disciples here about this guy is driving out demons. Hello? He's setting people who are walking in darkness in the name of Jesus and freedom and you're telling him to stop? Yeah, but he's not one of us. and Different methodologies. Now, let me just nail the unity thing here. It's not rocket science who we can have unity and who belongs to the bride of Christ. The bride of Christ is about unity, it's not uniformity. The bride of Christ is about diversity. The bride of Christ is about a bunch of broken, fragmented people who the Lord, like a mosaic, knits together from afar and is making his beautiful bride who he loves, who he died for, who he's returning for. It's not uniformity, it's recognizing our place in the body of Christ and we need all kinds of churches to reach all kinds of people in all kinds of ways. But what we're not to do is to point to other churches and go, we're better than them and you shouldn't go to them. Now let me nail what kind of churches once and for all. I said this at nine, I had some people coming out for clarity. Let me help you. It's not rocket science. Number one, who is Jesus? Jesus is God. And we believe in God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. That is a foundation, cornerstone, not to be removed. Then you can define, okay, the, 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 that's a different set of beliefs. Okay, but for the most part, for most churches we're talking about right now, same, same. How is it I receive salvation? There's a big piece. For it is by grace you've been saved through faith. That it is not of yourself, it's the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. So absolutely grace. Grace, I don't earn it. It's not a works-based thing. It's all Jesus through his death on the cross and the power of his resurrection and living in his power through the Holy Spirit. So when it comes to who is Jesus, who is God, how are we saved foundational pieces? There was creeds throughout ancient history stating these things. We are all. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. For the wages of sin is death. We could go through it all, foundational pieces. The who is Jesus piece is a big deal. It will separate the ones that you're thinking, well, are they part of us? It, it, that is super simple to find out. But when we get to it, I'm going to lean into this for the majority of people into the room. What's our heart towards unity? Because Jesus is nailing something here with these guys. He's nailing it. This arrogance, this you're better than, who said? 
I see it all over social media, all over the internet. People getting up there and preaching, and oh, don't sing this song, and don't go to that church, and I'm going, hang about, at the core foundational level of what we believe, these guys belong to the bride of Christ, these girls belong to the bride of Christ, and you are calling Jesus bride something he does not want you to call it. It's just real, and this is where you get a bit uncomfortable because I'm going to do something with us all today, or you're going to do something shortly that's going to be, I hope, really, really uncomfortable. But I don't know about you, growth happens the best through pain. It just does. And so let me just lean into this a little tiny bit. You maybe at some point in your life have left the church. Maybe more than one. And you may have your reasons, you had your reasons for it. And there may be good reasons. I'm not getting into that. There maybe have been good reasons. And I'm not talking about geographical moves, okay? Forget that. I'm talking you were part of a church and you left the church. And the fundamental, one of the reasons was you do not agree, you do not like. The pastor said something, somebody else did something, they hurt you for whatever reason. Remind you what my wife said a few weeks ago, this thing church hurt. The church did not hurt you, people hurt you. People hurt you. All right, the moment you go to church hurt you, the enemy goes, thank you. I'll take that one. Had a conversation with somebody after the nine o'clock today, just briefly, and she just said, every church I've been to has let me down. Leadership have let me down. Pastors let me down. And I'm going, I'm gonna let you down. <laughs> I'm gonna let you down. You don't come here to worship Des or any of the elders. Don't do that. This is Jesus' church. You come here to worship Jesus. Let's move on. But the reality is you maybe have left a church in the past. Or maybe something's happened in there in that story. I'm going to go there. How often are you praying for that church since you left it? Majority, big fat zero. How often do you want not praying for them to, Lord, I pray you bring them under a conviction. No. I pray the very presence of Jesus and the goodness of God and the gospel to be proclaimed there. God can use a donkey, he can use anybody. And I will not stand in the way because Jesus said he will build his church. Jesus, build your church. Build your church. I may not like or agree with methodologies. I may not even have the same position on certain disputable matters in the scriptures, but the reality of who is Jesus and why he came and his mission and his purpose and all that he is for us, we are one. And so we will not divide on that because Jesus really cares for it immensely. And Jesus is talking about this to his disciples. He's going, guys, this is, this is not going to go well. So he leans in and he says, look, this is just not good. Serving me in my name and you tell them to stop. Yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah, but. I'll tell you why, because we're just a bunch of control freaks. We want to do it my way, we want to do it this way, and if we do it this way, I'm all good with it. I'm not having any of that. 
And there's been wars within the church over all kinds of craziness. You can't imagine. How does that happen? I'm going to tell you, the enemy goes there real strong, really hard, because he's heard the prayer of Jesus. He's heard it. And he knows it, it can cause immense damage there. So, all right, there's be quiet. Here we go. Let's do this. In a moment, I'm going to lay you up now with what we're going to do. I'm going to give you a full 60 seconds. And in that full 60 seconds, right where you are, I'm going to ask you to stand. And for 60 seconds, you're going to pray for a church that you left. You're not going to pray condemnation on them. You're going to pray the blessing and goodness of God over that body of Christ. Maybe it was a pastor or somebody that Jesus is, is ruthless on forgiveness. You need, you need to go there and you need to pray for them. Again, not that they repent and turn or burn, but for the very goodness and the, pleasant and the pleasure of God over their whole life. And we've got to start having this posture. From the fall, every single Sunday in our gatherings, every Sunday of the year, so let's just say it's 50, include the break, so 52 Sundays of the year, we're going to pray in this church for another body of Christ in Arizona. Every single week. And I'm going to mention the name of a church and some of you will go, don't know about that. Oh, don't know about that. We're going to do it every single week. So in 2023, for that window, 52 weeks, that'll be 52 different churches. I want to pray for. Some of you have got competitive, egotistical elitism over other churches. I go here because they're better than. And they are better than. Some of you love jumping on bandwagons that pull other churches down. The current situation with Hillsong Church breaks my heart. Breaks my heart. I won't watch the shows because I have very, very good friends who are part of that church. People blew it. People made mistakes. But Jesus loves those people and his church, and lives have radically been saved and are still continuing to be saved in that environment. But when you jump on and start gloating about the downfall of another church, would you do that for a member of your own family? Would you celebrate? Would you celebrate your brother or your sister and a downfall? Jesus is talking about it. He goes there. We, as Grace Community Church, are part of an uprising, and there's quite a few of us in the valley, a part of an uprising who go, we are brothers in arms. We are going to tell the enemy, you will not divide us. You will not defeat us. We are here in the name of Jesus, for the name of Jesus, and we're going to rise up, and we're going to champion one another by the grace and the power of Jesus. And we will break down any language that is competition and elitism.
will break it down. And so right now, some of you in this room are just awesome and have no negative bone in your body towards any other church ever. So what I want you to do is to be praying for this mission that I've just talked about. For the rest of us, we've got some stings in the past and we are going to reverse the curse and pray for them. So I would invite you all to stand. It'll be a nice, painful 60 seconds. Nothing more. Some of you have got a big long list because you've been a spiritual butterfly for decades. Just going looking for the church that will tickle your ears and give you just what you want. And they do this and they do this. And here we go. Oh, they sang that song, Lost Their Salvation. We're going to be different, all right? So it's going to be quiet. So you've probably got a church or another person leader in mind. You're going to pray for them. And if you haven't at all, pray for the church to rise up in this mission of pursuing unity so that the world will know that Jesus was sent. Go ahead and pray. I'll close us. King Jesus, we confess to the sin of thinking that we are better than. We confess to allowing a disagreement or a hurt or a preference that has given us a non-Christ-like attitude towards other brothers in your bride. Forgive us. And Lord, would you pour out a fresh anointing over all of us that we desire to pursue you and your mission in your kingdom and to see your bride love one another. New commandment I give you, that you love one another as I have loved you. By this, all people will know you belong to me by your love for one another. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Take a seat. Third section, and it's the hardest. Mark 9, verse 43 to 49. Here we go. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. 
It is better for you to enter life maimed than with two hands to go into hell where the fire never goes out. And if your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life crippled than to have two feet and be thrown into hell. And if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into hell. Where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched, everyone will be salted with fire. Ease up, Jesus. So in the same conversation, he's talked about this servant leadership and this mm, elite mindset. And then he's talked about, guys, what are you doing? If they're not against us, they're for us and a posture about it all. When I, the thing he just said before this, he said, if you cause one of these little ones to sin, it is better for him to be thrown into the sea with a millstone around his neck let me just explain why that was so offensive that Jesus said that. In those days, context and culture really help here. The sea was symbolic of the abyss. When Jesus calls out the demons from legion and he puts them into the herd of pigs, where do the herd of pigs go? Into the sea, it's symbolic of the abyss, darkness, separation from. So you'd be better if you cause one of these to sin, you into the abyss. What? Secondly, I'm going to put a millstone around your neck. Millstone, big, huge, heavy stone. You ain't coming back up. You ain't coming back up. Plus, you're put into the sea, and so therefore, in those culture, you are denied a burial. And to not have a burial affects you, your legacy, your family, and your identity, and even in those days affects your eternity. So when Jesus goes on and says, if you cause one of these people who you are so-called better than to sin, there you go. Whoa. So then he leans in and says, guys, your heart condition, your heart condition. If your hand does it, cut it off. If your foot, cut it off. This week, I genuinely thought this. It was a semi-dark moment, but I genuinely thought this. I thought, how cool would it be if I got some chainsaws and axes and sharp spoons on the stage? Chainsaws to remove some feet, some axes to remove some hands, and some sharp spoons to <laughs> pop out some eyes. <laughs> Jesus is using this imagery. It's graphic, isn't it? It's not flippant, it's graphic. Guys, I'm serious about this. Sin, the punishment of sin, the pollution of sin, the penalty of sin, do whatever it takes to ruthlessly eliminate it from your life. And it's like, whoa. Teaching point number one, Jesus is not being literal here. All of you, oh, I take the Bible literal. Really? All the time, you've got to understand that. What was he saying here? Now, there has been in church history people who've endorsed this. You know, and they've justified it. Oh, you ran away, leg off. Oh, you stole that, hand off. Oh, because Jesus said it. He's making this a journey of what he's been teaching here. He leans in hard 
but you need to know the original audience. The original audience, these Jewish young boys, they know whenever Jesus is teaching, it's anchored in what has already been, as we have now, the Old Testament, the Old Covenant. When Jesus is talking hands and eyes and feet here, we are very strong in knowing this. They, in their mind, are hearing a teaching from Yahweh that is Proverbs 6, 16 to 19. There's multiple other ones. And so Jesus is making a point and they are immediately going to, oh, wow, he has just turned the heat up. Proverbs 6, 16 to 19 is on the screen. There are six things the Lord hates. He's not going tame here. Guys, I'm leaning in. Don't forget, they're about to turn and go towards Jerusalem as we continue through Mark to Jesus to the cross. He leans in. There are six things the Lord hates, seven that are detestable to him. Listen to the words. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked schemes, feet that are quick to rush into evil, a false witness who pours out lies, and a man who stirs up dissension among brothers. God hates it. He detests it. Lays them out. He's leaning in. These guys are going, oh. Now we know... It isn't the hand that causes the sin, it's your heart. It's not the foot that causes you to sin, it's your heart. It's not the eye that causes you to sin, it's your heart. And, he, and so he's, he's seen these other things, what's going on. He's laid it out there. I believe absolutely they've thought of a text or a text like this that's going through their mind. They're going, wow, here he is. He really is God. He really is the Messiah because he's really talking about this. And he is passionately caring about us in the same way that the Lord hates these things and he finds them detestable. And it's like, wow, this is so, so unbelievable and yet here's the reality Jesus is saying to them the punishment of sin the pollution of sin the oh the problem of sin the penalty of sin are you prepared to do whatever it takes to remove that and they're going yeah but we can't because he knows you cut one hand off I'm gonna have to cut the other one off next week and then he knows we can't and I believe those boys at that time are going, but Jesus, we can't do that. It's not possible. It's not possible. What you're asking us to do is not possible. Don't forget, Jesus is saying this before his death and resurrection. We have a hindsight bias that knows different. But he's saying this before that. And so he's like, you're following me, guys, and this is what we need to do. And they're going, but we can't. I won't get into it. You see, straight after this, Jesus gets into it. And what you've got is he teaches this rich young guy. And this rich young guy wants to follow Jesus. And Jesus challenges the guy and says, well, just sell all your stuff and give all your money to the poor. And I can't do that. And he teaches his disciples and says, guys, for rich people, their problem is it's harder for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than it is for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. And then these disciples are going, no, 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 no. 
Like we're not allowed any stuff. We can't have any feet or hands or eyes. And like, oh, we can't do this. Jesus is brilliant. He's brilliant. He's leaning in and he's leaning in and he's leaning in. And then he pulls his boys together. Mark 10, 26 to 27. This is breathtaking. So just after he's explained all that and about this rich young guy and all these cut off your body parts moments, he then says, the disciples were even more amazed and said to each other, who then can be saved? It's not they're even more <laughs> amazed. It's they're even more astonished. Who then can be saved, Jesus? What? Who then can be? All these laws are in the Ten Commandments and this guy's saying that he kept them but still not enough. And who then can be? Who can be saved? And I can just imagine, I don't know about you, but the more I've been reading through Mark and going super slow, I'm just imagining. And I'm imagining Jesus sitting down and the guys are all around and Jesus, help us out here. Who can be? I think he looks at them in the eye. I think he goes, I think you're getting it, boys. I think you're getting it. I think you are. And he says this in 27. Jesus looked at them. See these little words that you're there? So he looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible but not with God. All things are possible with God. At which point, I'm imagining the guys are going, wow, how is that going to be possible? Now, we know how he makes that possible through his death and resurrection. We know. But that moment... I think some of you are missing the wonder and the beauty and the faith and the magnitude of how great our God is. This seems impossible, but with God, all things are possible. When it comes to in your life, the corruption of sin, the pollution of sin, the problem of sin, the penalty of sin, all of that. I'm using not a cool word, sin. I'm just saying that the Bible says it's what it is. And we've got all that going, oh, it seems impossible. I'm just never good enough. I'm never this. But it's by grace you've been saved through faith. It's not of yourself. It's a gift of God. It's a gift of God. And so with that in mind... Jesus is saying it and he's revealing to them, but with God it's possible. You're not going to earn it. Again, he opens the doorway of grace. Grace opens the door. Truth sets you free. Jesus says in John 8, we won't talk about John because we're in the Gospel of Mark, but Jesus says, if you follow commandment, my commands, then you'll know the truth. And the truth will set you free. But you see, Jesus makes the way. He opens a door for us to go and hear his truth. He chooses us to hear and know. And the conviction that comes within us, it's a grace door. And then by faith we walk through it, we hear his truth. And it sets us free. Pretty mind-blowing. Okay. 
my last final section on all of this is Jesus is setting us up even today with this whole thing of the pursuit, the quest for greatness when corrupted is about elitism, about being better than. That's not in his kingdom. True leadership is servant leadership. The number one quality for servant leadership is humility. He's teaching that. And then he's saying about you don't go excluding people and thinking you're better than. And if people in my name, he goes into all that. The purpose of unity, the purpose and the heartbeat for it all. And then he leans in and says this, and this is what I need you to hear. With our hindsight bias of the death of Jesus on the cross, his blood being an atoning sacrifice for our sin, the resurrection knowing that we have life and life in all its fullness, the indwelling gift and empowering of the Holy Spirit in our lives, we can get to a point where we actually can get lazy on sin. We still need to hear the words of Jesus and say, are you prepared to ruthlessly do whatever it takes to eradicate sin from your life? Now, the how-to isn't cut your leg off, chop your hand off, pop your eyes out. The reality is he's made a way. But it isn't necessarily a nice, oh, it's all good. He says, confess and repent. Scriptures say if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Confess. Return to me, there's a call. The word of repentance It's the prodigal son story of returning returning of repenting to God and God, God, I want you and I want your life and I want your way and I want your fullness. This is what I choose you. I thank you. I adore you. I worship you. I choose you. All of those things are there. That repentance comes this way. Jesus is being unbelievably kind with his disciples in how he's speaking to them because he so cares. And isn't it awesome Romans 2 goes on to say it's actually God's loving kindness that leads us to repentance. You notice that? It's God's kindness that leads us to repentance because it's his love and his grace and his mercy. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. Thanks be to God. His loving kindness leads me to repentance. Leads me to that prodigal son story of running back to the father. But I still have a role. I need to ruthlessly eliminate sin from my life. We come to Jesus to do that. Let me give the reality of this. Transformation is only possible through regeneration. Put simply, newness of life comes with the old dying and new coming. You must be born again. Why are we overcomplicating it? Regeneration. And he's paid the way. Grace opened the door. Truth is found inside there to be set free. So let me read from Colossians 2, 13 through 15. I'm going to do this to to land this today. And then we'll have a response time. 
This is what this means. Jesus is, the Apostle Paul has heard it and passes on to a young church. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, the answer is cut your hand off, gouge your eye out. God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the written code with its regulations that was against us and stood opposed to us. He took it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. That's what Jesus did. And so today, what needs cutting off? What needs gouging out? Today, what attitude and mindset towards the body of Christ needs to be radically transformed? What is that? I'm going to invite prayer partners and elders to come down front right now. Some of you may find, yeah, right now, some of you may find yourself in a pattern of sin. You know what I mean? Like a pattern. Yeah, and I confess and I'm And you're thinking, I think I'd rather just cut off my foot, my arm. This is the importance of this. This is biblical right now. This is in our response time in prayer. Come to one of our prayer partners and just, and just come and confess and say, I want to come to you now confess our sins to one another. I want to come to you and just say, this is what it is. Super simple. No long stuff. This is what it is. A prayer of repentance. Let us lead you in a prayer. Let's pray over you for that. Let's pray over you for you. Some of you it is. It's, it's a I'm better than attitude. You, you need a radical humility anointing. Some of you it literally is that sense of the attitude towards the bride of Christ. And that, need a revolution there. And then thirdly, the reality of knowing that without Jesus, it's all impossible. And the sin that needs to be eradicated from your life, confess and repent. Come down front for prayer for that. I'd expect these guys to be busy today. Um, because when I look in the mirror, I, I see stuff. And so uh, I'm going to lead us in a prayer. And then our closing song, we've not sung for many months, is called Available. And you can't help but get away from the bridge and it says, here I am, here I am. You can have it all. You can have it all. You can have my left eye, my right hand, my left foot. You can have it all. You can have my whatever it is, you can have it all. Wow. What a song, what a prayer for us to be singing as we close today. Will you all stand? King Jesus, for all of us, we've, just, we've heard your words today. We've heard your words. Your, your loving kindness through them all, Lord, is amazing. Would you bring a fresh anointing of humility over all of us? Would you bring a fresh anointing of unity among us all? And would you give and bring a fresh anointing of your purity as you cleanse us from sin upon us all? 
in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Come out for prayer, guys. If you need to get in line, get in line. It's worth the wait.